Amen. It's good uh, to be with you. It's an honor to serve you. I um, will ask you to turn with me in just a moment to Ezekiel chapter 37. Before I do, let me just uh, voice a word of appreciation for folk who make this possible uh, this morning. Brian, Jan, Betty, Jimmy, Troy, Ron, Mindy, and uh, others no doubt have helped us along the way during the week. And I'm so grateful for each of you. Patsy, this morning is an audience of one way back in the back. And uh, I am um, grateful for so many of you. And thanks especially for those who share in putting this forward this morning. Ezekiel's day was a day of hardship and loss. You put these ingredients together. The Yahweh, the God of Israel... Uh, his people and the land. And well, when his people wander away, there is a recipe for uh, real hardship. And that's what Ezekiel faces in his day. And Ezekiel witnesses the fall of Jerusalem. And there's a great, great heaviness. The passages that we're reading today um, are preceded immediately by these beautiful images. Uh, God, uh, when he has made his place righteous, it has uh, uh, borne some heaviness on his children, his people, to be sure. Uh, but he is nonetheless, the image is the good shepherd. And he is in chapter 36, the one who by his spirit working within us to give us even a new heart, a heart transplant, pretty dramatic. And then today, there's a blessing in 37, as we see again how the Spirit can give life where there seems to be no life and can bring hope where there seems to be no hope. And so, if you would, turn with me to that passage in Ezekiel. We'll read from the New International Version this morning. If you'll follow along as I read. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? If you'll allow me to comment, we wonder what Ezekiel means by his response is he thinking there's no way in the natural course of things that life doesn't come in this circumstance is he modest because he remembers that God is the one who makes alive from Deuteronomy perhaps he's just want not wanting to say too much or recognize that he's speaking before the the Lord and so in this strange interactive vision an interactive vision. This is different. He says this. Sovereign, Lord, you're the one who's all-powerful. Lord, you and you alone know. Now he's commissioned to speak, to preach or prophesy over these bones. In verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath or spirit 
enter you, and you will come uh, to life. I will attack, attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as he commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and the tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was still no breath in them. This recreation is sort of like the creation of Adam. Uh, it's a two-stage effort. Remember, Adam was fashioned first, but still his body lay there lifeless until what? The spirit or the breath from God made him alive. And so look, it's what we see in verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, to the spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, it is what the sovereign Lord says. This is it. Come, breathe, and from the four winds, and breathe into these that were slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and stood up on their feet, a vast army. You may have just mentioned to you, what a change this is. This valley with these dry bones uh, was probably the product of an army that had failed many, many moons ago. Their defeat was so complete, there wasn't a dignity to bury them. They were left for dead, their bones scattered. They are largely just a faded memory, and people would traffic through there. It doesn't say he found skeletons. It says he found bones. And so they're mixed and matched and broken and all apart. It seems so utterly hopeless. But from that that seems so hopeless, that circumstance is transformed. And now that army hit, that had fallen and faded and almost faded from memory is brought back to be a living reality. And so they stood there on their feet this vast, vast, very great, the Hebrew says, army. Now the Lord goes on to tell him what it means in verse 11. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people... I am going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am your God. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you. And you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. We're not accustomed in our day and time to have our culture paralyzed by limitations and loss. 
we sort of pride ourselves in our day and in our great affluence that we are people who know uh, virtually no limitations on our liberty. Seldom are we captured as a culture by a looming loss. And um, it's maybe important for us to remember that most of the world knows these hardships in a much more direct fashion than we have. We seem to think that there's a pill for that or a solution to that, and uh, maybe it's partly uh, Yankee ingenuity that we uh, admire so much, uh, our technology and our ability to face almost anything. But there are times when we are humbled and the gone wrongness of the world is there before us and is unavoidable. It happens routinely through our lives, but seldom does it grasp us altogether as a culture. I want to mention to you that uh, God never promises his people will be immune from hardship. The reality is we're called to live and represent him, but we're called to live in a world that certainly knows it's gone wrongness. And we share that gone wrongness with the rest of the world. And yet, there's this persistent image that this God has kept us, sustains us, and cultures. And even though Jesus uh, is pictured as sharing them with us and grieving along with us, we know that God and His Spirit are there and that we're kept alive and sustained by His Spirit. And when His Spirit blows, there is this great refreshing where God can give life and restore life where it looked like we were so low and maybe looked like we were down for the count. Let's say just a word about this passage. In Ezekiel's day, I want to mention to you that um, Ezekiel uh, is trying to encourage his folk. I think if you look in verse 11 uh, through 14 clearly, uh, the immediate meaning of this image of the dried bones coming to life is an image of the Lord uh, being um, uh, working in Israel to bring them to life and to uh, stir them and move them. They have, well, gone their own way. They have suffered the alienation and, and, and the punishment from God. They have struggled so terribly. Now they've lost Jerusalem. It seems like there's no sense of even thinking or calling themselves as God's people. And yet, Ezekiel, who's been the bearer of this bad news, tells them, no, it looks hopeless. I know your hope is gone. I know you can barely catch your breath. There doesn't seem like there's anything else to do or no future ahead of you. But that's not what God is saying. God is saying to these people a long time ago, I'm not done with you. And you may not think you have the strength to go on. But I can with my spirit blow across you and move you and give you life where you thought life was, well, impossible, implausible. 
And inexplicably, though, God enters into our brokenness. And with His Spirit, He stirs us and gives us light. Now, you and I are privileged to have more of the story of God unfolded. We've seen that God has been faithful to these people. And through these people, God has brought us Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, He is making good on all the promises He's ever made in the Bible. And through Jesus Christ, He's reaching out across the world And through Jesus Christ, he's gathering a people for himself from every tribe and every race and every culture, every language. God is reaching across this world to fashion his people. And God's purpose is ongoing in the world. And so we have much more to see and much more to appreciate. And as we count our way toward Easter, I want us to be reminded that this God has intervened in our life sent His Son, born the gone-wrongness of the world with us and for us. It is a sign of His determination to see His purpose in this world. And we are to ready our hearts by remembering the faithfulness of Jesus as He walked this way and anticipating, we'll not get there just yet, we'll not jump too far ahead, but anticipating Easter as it's coming And having our hearts stirred to believe, to be reminded that God can speak and His Spirit can blow and life can change so dramatically. I want you to be reminded. This morning I'm asking you to trust the Word, to believe the Spirit. This morning I'm asking uh, you uh, to... uh, Uh, be pliable before the Lord and, and let God encourage our hearts and to remember this remarkable word. It's all encoded in the story and the vision anticipated there in Ezekiel, but it's in our story all along. Like we sang about this morning, Elijah restored life to the son of the Shunammite woman. Again, it seemed like there was no hope. But when the word of God is spoken and the spirit is stirring, life can be restored. Eutyches uh, in chapter 20 is falling out of his chair and uh, there on the window and falls down to what it seems like is death, but yet he is restored to life. I need to remind you, perhaps the power of this word again and again, but we'll just leave it with these few reminders Can I mention to you this? You recall another occasion when the Spirit was stirring and the Word was spoken? Do you remember when the darkness covered the earth and there seemed to be no order and then God speaks? And His Spirit stirring and the purpose of God is accomplished and where there is is nothing apparently uh, in retrospect there is something and whether something's not ordered as pictured in Genesis and now it is given order and life comes when the word is spoken and the spirit stirs you and I as we look toward Easter we will prepare our hearts to celebrate the breaking forth of light and life from death on Easter Sunday morning. I ask you to ready your heart even now.
I'll ask you to trust the word with me. And I'll ask you to speak the word. Now, I'm not Ezekiel or Elijah. And, uh, well, I'm not sure. Maybe neither are you. But you know what? I do need to encourage you. Without being flippant or kind of insincere or mechanistic. Uh, We don't uh, order God around. And we don't speak these things um, simply uh, by our own prerogative. But you have the ability to transform and move the uh, area around you that God has granted you when you speak his word. You just simply bear testimony to this word. You speak a word of encouragement. You speak a word about Jesus Christ. You, you can rest assured that you'll get this right if you point people to Jesus. If you give testimony to the, the sense that God has spoken in your life before and transformed it. If you give testimony that the Spirit took something that was uh, ugly and misshapen and has helped you grow. If you can give testimony to this word. It is part of what God in his mystery uses to extend his purpose in the world. He uses people like you and me. I ask you to, to trust and entrust ourselves and our life and our destiny to this world, this word of God and its spirit that carries it forward. And I ask you to speak it. And then I ask you to live in its light. I suppose the hardship of these days gives us some time to be discerning. I'm not going to be mechanistic and try to account for this in some simple theological kind of explanation. I am going to say this much. I think in the hardship of these days, we can discern that we don't have to just worry about these circumstances that are upon us. We do need to be worried. I want you to take measures. I want you to be vigilant. But we need to be worried about our culture altogether. Our culture already was a culture that was too insincere about death. Too flippant about life and concern for life. Too injurious towards others. Too violent towards others. And I want to ask you to be discerning about our own spirit and our own disposition. And I want you to be thinking in terms of what you'll do when you do get a chance to be back with one another and how we'll relate with one another differently and how we'll cherish the fact that we can be together and how we'll honor concern. And then I want us to live differently, to live in this world, but to face what comes to this world in the light of what this God can and does. He has already worked in your life and intervened and he will be faithful. And one day when we take this life-giving power to a new key, there'll be a day when our days on earth are done. But people who have trusted this Jesus will not be done. People who have trusted this Jesus will share in the victory over death that he has given. And I want us to live this life as if though we're completely given to the hope that our life and our destiny belongs to Jesus who will keep us. And that one day we'll not just be given life 
or a new lease on life or give a new hope in this life. But one day we will celebrate this, that the life we have been given and the life we have lived is now reclaimed and taken to a a new key that I can hardly imagine. I, I keep the scriptural images before me to maybe guide me. But the image is this. One day, I'll be called into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I'll be there in the presence of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. I'll be transformed to experience a life that will never end. And I will know this life. And I will know the life-giving power of the Spirit. And so I want us to live in this day in light of the Spirit who speaks and gives life. Will you pray with me? Lord, wherever we are as we hear this, we pray that your Spirit would administer to our hearts the hope and life-giving power of God Lord, please call some to faith and new life in you. Call some to begin this journey. Call others of us to be renewed and encouraged in the strength and power of the Spirit. Call us, Lord, to trust in you and to speak words of hope and faith in you and to live this life in light of the life-giving Spirit. Lord, we entrust ourselves in this moment, in this season, and everything we are to you, the giver of life. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.